and welcome to the bus stop. This is the official podcast of the National School Transportation Association. I am Kurt Mackison, executive director and host of the bus stop. And uh, in today's NSTA minute, the deadline for the upcoming Capitol Hill bus in is fast approaching. Uh, the bus in will take place in Washington, D.C. on April 21st and 22nd. Now, the deadline for your congressional inquiry forms is next week, March 13th. Um, and then our room block at the Washington Marriott at Metro Center uh, concludes on March 27th. So you'll want to get your room block uh, room before March 27th. And then, like I said, the bus in itself is on April 21st. And our Hill visit will take place on April 22nd, um, all in Washington, D.C. Now, if you need more information, you can always find us at yellowbuses.org, or you can email us at NSTA headquarters at info at yellowbuses.org. So today, uh, we have a great guest. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion, as you know, about the coronavirus, and we're pleased to have Regina Phelps. She's the president of Emergency Management and Safety Solutions. And Regina, welcome to the bus stop. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here with you. Great. Um, so, you know, in going through, uh, you know, your resume, you're a recognized global leader in crisis management. Um, now, this level of recognition doesn't happen overnight. So can you tell the listeners a little bit about your background and, um, you know, how you came into being a crisis management expert? Sure, I'd be happy to. I came into this uh, work, as many people do, kind of not on purpose in some ways. Uh, my background is originally in nursing. I was a hospital administrator for several years. And then when I finished my thesis in 1982, it was about putting a company like mine in a hospital system. And I decided I would actually do it myself. So we started doing both crisis management, continuity planning, and a variety of other skills uh, back in the early 80s, so 1982. Um, I think what has really helped us become who we are is that a couple of things is I'm deeply curious and I'm uh, very forward thinking. So when there's a, something that really interests me, I have a tendency to really dig in. Um, and I also have a great desire to help people, which is, I guess, part of the nursing part of me. But I first heard my first pandemic speech in 1996 by the physician uh, in charge of the National Healthcare Program in Canada. And I left that session thinking, I don't even know what a pandemic plan is. So we actually started looking into it seriously, and that led us to actually start developing pandemic plans in 1998. Um, back then, nobody really knew what they were, uh, and so we had to do a lot of education. And the first big public speech I gave was in 2003, and people thought, wow, that's super interesting, but wow, that's kind of crazy. That would never happen. And of course, then the avian flu happened, and then the global pandemic of 2009. And, and so, yes, we've been doing pandemic plants all over the world since about 2006. So perhaps an overutilized word is is crisis, and we hear it a lot nowadays, and probably especially since the advent of, you know, social social media. But we, we do hear uh, crisis a lot through our traditional news sources. Um, and I think probably everyone has a different impression of what a crisis is. But I think from your perspective, because this is what you do, why don't you tell the audience what, in your opinion, a crisis is and how does crisis management you know, help us get through these situations? 
Sure. I'm going to actually use the definition that Harvard uses. Um, I had the great pleasure of going to the Harvard crisis program, oh, maybe 15 years ago. Super interesting. And they had uh, two definitions I think that your listeners should keep in mind. And they define a crisis essentially in two categories. There's what's called a routine emergency, and then there's a crisis emergency. Now, let me start with a routine emergency. A routine doesn't mean that it's easy, but it means it's predictable. So there's something that you know from the kind of business that you're in. So driving children in yellow buses, for example, there are certain emergencies that you just know that you're going to have. So maybe there are things like accidents and maybe things like um, other types of issues uh, and a medical emergency on a bus. That That's an emergency, uh, but you have plans for it. You have training for it. You've got processes. You've done exercises. And so you can actually learn from your previous experience. It doesn't mean that it's easy, but you have processes in place. A crisis emergency is differentiated from that because it means that there is novelty. What does that mean? Uh, there's three categories that you could look at that sort of define that broadly. A threat that has never been encountered before. So if I would have gone to my clients at the World Trade Center prior to 9-11 and said, I tell you what, I'm going to do an exercise for you and we're going to have two planes hit the trade centers and they're both going to collapse, they would have thrown me out of their office. They could have never imagined that that would happen. Secondly, is an event that occurs at unprecedented speed. So something really fast moving. Think of the wildfires we've had in the, in the state of California where 9,000 buildings were burned in eight hours. That had never happened before. The speed was overwhelming. Or then lastly is when you have a confluence of many forces that come together. So think of like Hurricane Katrina, Hurricane Sandy, where you have many, many, many things all happening at once that there's no way that you can get, you can get your arms around it. That is a crisis. And that's really what we work with our clients to actually deal with. So crisis management by its very definition is holistically looking at your organization. And that means not just looking at emergency response, which of course is many things that you would be doing in, in driving children to school. It's not just looking at how you recover your key aspects of your business or your technology or how you communicate. It's managing all of those things. That's what crisis management is. It's a holistic response of managing a major issue in your organization. And that's what we do for companies worldwide. Now that really transitions us into the next, uh, you know, the next question, and that's, mm. I mean, we've all, you have to be under a rock at this point not to have heard about <laughs> coronavirus or COVID nineteen, right? Um, mm -hmm, and it's right. being called a crisis in in many different circles. And based on your um, definition of that, it probably probably is because this is out of the ordinary. But I guess the central question that folks want to know is: Are we actually in a crisis with this virus? The short answer is yes. Um, we have never had a disease outbreak like this in contemporary times. So if you go back in the last 100 years, uh, we've had several uh, relatively mild pandemics. So we've had the 2009 H1N1. Everybody probably remembers that. If you're a little bit older like me, you might remember the 1968 uh, H3N2 or the I don't remember the 1956 flu pandemic, but those are three that we all had. Uh, they were disrupted, but not uh, at all like we're about ready to see. And then, of course, if you go way back in time, 1918, the Spanish flu, this would be more comparable to that. Now, I don't want your listeners to panic by saying, oh, my God, this is going to be like the 1918 flu. The 1918 flu was very lethal and had a huge impact. I'm not saying that this is going this outbreak, which is still not called a pandemic, is going to be incredibly lethal. But what I'm going to say to you is it's going to be extremely disruptive. And I actually think it will change America in a kind of substantial way. It's interesting. And just 
based on the current state of affairs, you know, what what do folks need to know about the spread of COVID-19 and, you know, uh, where that may be going, as you said, it'll have a, a drastic impact on the country. Right. So a couple things is that we're just beginning to see cases. I know if you look at the news, they're starting to really report clusters and they're starting to report uh, more transmission in the community. That's called uh, sustained community transmission. We're going to see, of course, that's going to happen all over the country. Uh, and so professionals that I work with, we're all looking at this is about ready to really explode. And I, and I, that's a very powerful word. And I, I don't mean to scare anybody, but it's kind of, you know, just imagine it's really going to, it's really going to kick up. Uh, and that's gonna, we're going to start to see cases everywhere. Part of the problem we've had in the U.S. is that we've done a very poor job in testing. And I'm not sure what all the politics and reasons for that have been in the, in the CDC. But if you compare us to other countries, we can hardly test anybody. And so they're really trying to ramp that up. As the testing now becomes more uh, uh, widespread, you're going to start seeing cases everywhere. And so your listeners should be prepared to all of a sudden start seeing that in your local community. Um, the key thing about the disease is that stop, so it's stop and think about, okay, this is going to go everywhere. Why is that? This is a new virus. It's never existed before in the history of the world. That means every single person, every single person is actually possible. They're, they're all going to get, we're all going to get sick at one point. Everybody is going to get sick because we've, this disease has never existed. That's different from the flu, which has existed for many, many years, of course, hundreds and hundreds of years. But we've all had the flu. And when it goes around, we might have had a version of that. So we're not going to get it. So we are not susceptible. But this, everybody is susceptible. So that's the first piece. The second piece is that because of this, think about how the disease is spread. It's spread by respiratory droplets. So coughing, sneezing, talking, anything like that. So then you imagine, okay, how is it spread? You cough, you sneeze, you talk, those droplets hang in the air, you cough with your hand in front of your face. What happens is then what do you do? You touch something. So think of a child in a school bus. You know, they're gonna touch the, 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 the handrails in front of them. They're gonna touch the seats. They're gonna touch every square inch of that space. And so what happens then is somebody else comes along and they put their hand down on that handrail or that seat or that window. And then what do they do? They scratch their nose, they scratch their eyes. And the way we infect ourselves is really two thing, ways. One is the droplets that could still be suspended in the air. And the second is by touching what are called fomites, which is kind of a funny term, but it simply means surfaces. And then you touch the surface with your hand and what every person in the universe does is they touch their face all the time. About 18 to 20 times an hour is the average for an adult. And that's how you infect yourself. You actually then those viruses that are bacteria that are on your hands get into your respiratory system, your eyes, the mucous membranes of your mouth, and that's how you get ill. And that's why this is such a huge impact. It will spread rapidly. This disease is highly contagious and um, people can actually be asymptomatic for as much as God, there's been some cases of a couple of weeks, most is about five. But so you get ill, you may not know you're ill right away. And so you're shedding the virus and therefore you can actually then infect a lot of people. Now, I guess an, another question that, that comes up because this has been thrown around, is there a potential for a vaccine uh, around COVID-19? Oh, well, there will be. And yes, they're going to start probably. I mean, there's a, there's a huge race to do vaccinate, develop vaccines and they're going to be available uh, at some point. But your listeners need to understand that the way that the media and particularly in the politics of the United States are framing it is that it's going to happen immediately. That is not going to happen. 
the best, best, best estimates from professionals is going to probably be 18 months. And then I, you know, it's, it, 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 vaccines take a long time to produce once they actually have been validated and then they know that they have efficacy, which means that they work. So they have to do trials, they have to do tests. You just can't make a vaccine and throw it out because you could actually harm people or you could be in a situation where you're selling something or giving something that's not effective. So vaccines will not be available for about 18 months and they will not be immediately widely available because it takes a lot to produce. Just think of our country, there's 330 million people here. So uh, that's a lot of vaccine, even if only half of the people get the vaccine. So it's not a quick fix. And that's what your listeners need to understand. They need to find ways to mitigate the problem because this is gonna be with us for a long time. Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head. And in, in thinking of what you know our listeners do uh, on an everyday basis, yeah. so transporting yep. you know kids to school, are, are there right. things off the top of your head that that they can do? Um, that I mean, I guess some are obvious, but there are other things that in your experience that that can be done. Well, you know, the, I think your your industry is is really challenged, right? For two reasons. One is because of what you're doing. You're placing a uh, you know, you know, a fair number of individuals into a box, if you will, uh, and you're transporting them. So they're in close proximity to each other. So how do you social distance, which it means at least three feet apart? Um, and then every, there's everybody's touching everything. Right. So it's it's fraught with peril in that way. So, yes, there's a couple things that you can do. I, I think if this if it's possible, again, I don't know how many children might be in a, in a bus, but I'm assuming that there's pretty probably two kids in every seat. Uh, if there's a way that you can social distance kids so you only have one kid in every seat, that would probably help because that way they're at least not immediately coughing on each other. So that would be one solution. That's called social distancing. The second thing is a lot of cleaning. Now, uh, already in the United States, there are supply chain disruptions to things such as disinfectants and cleaners and that kind of stuff. But I want to I will direct your uh, your listeners to the CDC website. They have a very good uh, section that's on what's called environmental cleaning and disinfection use uh, for cases of coronavirus. And so essentially what they talk about is utilizing certain EPA registered disinfectants, but if you don't have that or it's not in your budget, you can use things such as household bleach in order to clean surfaces. So for your um, bus drivers, for example, or whomever it would be tasked with this activity is that cleaning that bus First of all, it should go out obviously super clean. And I mean cleaning everything. That's uh, every piece of thing that a person could touch. So the little handrails in front where they sit, the seats, the windows, the window ledges with uh, bleach and water solution or, or an EPA uh, uh, registered disinfectant. Then after you drop kids off is to repeat the same process because uh, viruses live on surfaces uh, for in case of several days, the they're, they're not clear exactly now how long the coronavirus will live on surfaces, but you should assume two or three days would be a really good guess. So that means it should be cleaned. Ideally, after every time you drop some kids off, you'd go back and you would check and clean those things that are most commonly touched. Um, that is going to be super important. A lot of great uh, information, Regina. Um, and we, we could go on, I'm sure, indefinitely talking about this. But um <laughs> In the interest of time, and I know you've been incredibly busy, and we thank you for for joining us. Um, what's the best way our listeners, if they wanted to find out more information, you know, about crisis management one and two about COVID nineteen, where can they go and find that information? 
Great. So obviously, I think the best source of information for your listeners as far as COVID-19 is go to the CDC website. They have been working very hard to build out an, an entire selection of information that's specific to different industries, including schools and children and so on. So I would highly uh, encourage them to go there as a reliable source. The second thing I would say is be super careful. There are lots of people that are trying to make a lot of money off of this. And so you need to be very careful about who you might be purchasing something from, or if anybody is reporting some great ability to, to um, you know, uh, have the be all end all um, uh, uh, thing to stop it from being a problem in a school bus. I wouldn't believe anybody <laughs> at this point because <laughs> there's just, they're just a lot of unscrupulous people. We have a lot of good information on our website, and I would, if your listeners would want to go there, I would recommend that you can go to EMS EMS hyphen solutions inc.com, or you can also just Google my name, Regina Phelps. And also, I post a lot of information on LinkedIn every day about this very topic, so your listeners are more than welcome to hook up with me on LinkedIn. Uh, and I'll accept their um, invitation. And I post a lot of information daily on the COVID virus. Terrific. Yeah, thanks so much. Once again, our guest at the bus stop, Regina Phelps. She's president of Emergency Management and Safety Solutions. Regina, thanks so much for joining us at the bus stop. You're welcome, Kurt. My pleasure. (laughs) 